Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and not to us. For we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the dying Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh." So death is at work in us, but life in you. Well, good morning. It's always a pleasure to be at Johnson Street and a special pleasure today to be with you. Summer is here and summer activities are ramping up and things are happening all over the place and that's wonderful. Special day for this church as you welcome the Jarvis family here. I, I've got to tell you that uh, I've known him, uh, Brian for, uh, I'm doing the math, I think it's 28 years and uh, there are a lot of stories I could tell you. Uh, there are three things though that come to mind that, uh, that I would say about Brian. Number one is basketball it seems like that's the first thing I remember about Brian, him and his second cousin, Tim Sturgeon. I, don't, I can't remember the relationship, but there was some connection there. The second thing is that uh, Brian knows the hood. And by that, I mean he knows what uh, both sides of the track look like. And uh, he's pretty, pretty savvy on that kind of stuff. Uh, the third thing I'd say, though, is that he knows and loves Jesus Christ. And that was evident in my first meetings with him, and I know that that's guided his life since. And I am really, really excited about Shauna and uh, Brian and Dylan being a part of this church, joining uh, what is a great staff of people here and your leader team here. This is uh, an exciting time uh, in, this, in the life of Johnson Street. Well, it is busy, and there are things happening. Mission teams running off to Medina today, and Vacation Bible School is just around the corner, and all kinds of things happening in life. And although we think about summertime as being a slower time, and maybe it is, it's also a time where we ramp up a little bit because it seems like we can get more crammed into these daylight hours. Sometimes that busyness can be, sometimes it can be a way in which we cover up another aspect of our lives. That other aspect of our lives that I'm thinking about today is the ways in which we deal with the brokenness in our lives, stuff that isn't going well in our lives. And so if things are not going well here, I'll just attend to something else to kind of keep my attention away from those things that are not so good in our lives. And sometimes those broken places in our lives can be all-consuming, difficult, and challenging, and they shape us in ways, even when we're not thinking about them, if we're not dealing with them well. Some years ago, uh, uh, Wynton Groom's novel uh, by the name of Forrest Gump, you remember the movie Forrest Gump? Tom Hanks, great film. There's a scene in that movie that uh, I think about. It's, it's a scene where 
Forrest's girlfriend has come back from one of her prodigal rip tears through life, and she makes her way back home. And Jennifer, Jenny and, and Forrest go out to her old home place. It's no longer inhabited. The roof looks like a sea, all caved in. The porch is knocked away. It's deserted. You couldn't live in it. It's inhabitable. And there, as she sees that horrid scene, it brings back to her all of the memories of all of the abuse and hardship and the trouble with a father who was an alcoholic and all the stuff that was in her life. And it just, all of that brokenness comes to the forefront. And she begins to throw rocks at the front of that house, rocks and rocks and dirt clods. And finally her shoes go headed toward the house. And and when there's nothing left, she just falls down in a heap in front of that house. And then there's that tender moment when Forrest bends down beside her and says, Jenny, in that wonderful southern accent, Jenny, sometimes there's just not enough rocks to throw. It's a tender moment. And it sort of speaks to the reality that many of us live with in our lives, that there are things in our closet, there are things that go bump in the night down in the basements of our memory that can hold us captive and hang on to us and cause us to see uh, the worst in life and, and hold us captive to the possibilities of something more in our lives. And it's that that I want to address today. I want to speak to that Uh, today and and what we have in front of us. Because the text that I read a moment ago coming from Paul demonstrates a little something else. Paul himself is a person who knows about brokenness and hardship. He knows what it is that uh, the psychiatrist M. Scott Peck says in the front of his book some years ago, uh, The Road Less Traveled, the first sentence in that book is, Three, three words, you ready for it? Life is difficult. And with that, we can re- relate with Paul who says, look, I've been afflicted. I've been per- perplexed. I've been persecuted. I've been struck down. At every hand, Paul has experienced the brokenness in life, and yet, there's something else about Paul. Paul is able to say, I've been afflicted, but I've not been crushed. I've been perplexed, but not driven to despair. I've been persecuted, but not forsaken. I've been struck down, but I've not been destroyed. And it causes me to ask the question, Paul, what's the difference? How is it that you're able to live through life in such a way as to deal with the brokenness and yet transcend it in some real way? That I want to know. And I think the answer is in the verse prior to this, in verse 7. It's that familiar text where Paul will say, look, I know, here's, here's the answer. The answer is that we're just a bunch of clay pots, that we're just ordinary kitchen vessels, he says in verse 7. And, uh, He's referring to the ancient world in which he lived that most folks in their houses might have nicer, may have some nicer stuff, but then there were the clay pots. And I don't know how to help with this. You know those kind of reddish clay pots you plant uh, vegetables in out on the back porch that you buy for $3.95 at the store? And they are kind of brittle and and they kind of break easy, but it's no big deal because you can just toss them away. It's that kind of clay pot that he's talking about. We're, We're... 
the value of who you are is not in the pot, it's in what lies within us. And what Paul wants to make quite clear is the value of being human, it does not reside in our own humanness and in our brokenness and our frailty. It comes because of the transcendent power that belongs to who, church? It belongs to God and not to us. Paul's secret is in understanding something about himself. It's like he's saying, look, we're just, we're just like a, ah, how about that? We're just like a Dixie cup, right? You know those chinette plates you get for the, the, uh, the picnic? You use them and then you toss them because what's, not, what's valuable is not the plate, but grandma's potato salad that you put on the plate. That's what's valuable, or that grilled hamburger. I'm starting to get hungry, folks. It's sort of like, uh, you know, Toby Keith sings about the red solo cup, right? No, no, maybe we better not go there. <laughs> we won't go there. You fill me up. I, maybe that's not the... Let's go back to Dixie cups, folks. <laughs> the, the point that Paul is trying to make is that the power that allows us to transcend the brokenness in our life exists not because of our ability to exert our autonomous selves. How's that for a big, long phrase from a preacher? It's not on our capacity to do it. It's in the capacity of God to work through us, even in our clay potness. That is the key. Now, there's more to this as well in all, that's uh, showing up in all of this. Because the challenge that we have all too often is not only do we sometimes forget that it's God's power working through us, not our own steam that gets us through life. The second thing is that we often get to to, uh, paying so much attention to our brokenness that we don't see the possibilities of God in our lives. Years ago, I I had one of the elders in the church that I served was... uh, he was a, a, a bicyclist, and he would ride his bicycle, and, uh, and he would ride across uh, the state of Indiana, uh, 150 miles in one day, crazy man. And, uh, and he would do that with a plum, and I would ask him, Why, how do you do that? And he says, what do you mean, how do I do that? And he said, my problem would be, Lynn, if, as I was doing that, is that when I would see a chuck hole or a pothole, that would be the thing that I would pay attention to. And he says, silly man, you don't look at the pothole, you look at where you want to go. That's where you focus your attention on. All too often, uh, we spend our, too much time thinking about our problems and not about the possibilities. Churches can get into this kind of thinking as well. One of the things I'd want to say to Johnson Street, in this time of transition and possibility, it's easy to think about, oh, what might happen or what's not going to happen, rather than seeing that God may be up to something in all of the conversation about searching for a new preaching minister, and on and on it goes, is that all too often we can be, well, like the people of Israel, the army of the Israelites back in 1 Samuel 17, the whole camp of the Israelite army up on one hillside and over on the other hillside was another army the Philistines remember them and they had a linebacker that worked for them his name was uh, Goliath and he would you know the big guy the really big guy like giant 
kind of guy. And he would come down the hill every morning and shout up at the armies of Israel and say, let's just go one-on-one, why don't we? You remember this story? And in the midst of all that, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17 that all of Israel was dismayed and was very afraid. They were quaking in their boots. All they could see was the problem, the problem, the problem, the 10-foot problem, the problem of Goliath. And he got bigger with every telling of the story. Why? Because sometimes we let our problems define our lives. And then comes along little David. You know the story, right? Down by the babbling brook, right? That little David. Here comes David. And he wants to take this guy on. And everybody says, no, no, you can't do it. Or here, put this armor on. Or what are you doing here? And why are you, da, 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 da. And then David says, look, here's the way this goes down. If the Lord God, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the help me out somebody, the bear, could deliver me, then he will deliver me from this, and I'll give you the Sunday morning version of this, this dirty Philistine, then, then uh, I, he's going to take care of me. Why? Because, because David saw the possibilities of God's power working through him. He didn't worry about the problem. There's something important about that, I think, that perhaps is in play in this text, that for us as people today, that we need to pay great attention to the transcendent power that belongs to God that resides within us and within this church, not on ourselves, but on God's power to work, on God's leading to work. And when we find ourselves getting a little anxious or a little worried about what's coming on ahead, then perhaps it's time for us to disengage just a little bit and remember that actually God's at work in this church. Let's not get too worried about this. Let's, let's pay attention to the transcendent power that belongs to God and not to us. And in so doing, maybe it helps us with some other things as well, that it helps us understand that when we find ourselves in tough spots, that maybe there's some opportunity in that for us to grow, that there's some opportunity in that for us to, uh, to learn something or for God to be at work in us in some particular kinds of ways, that difficult spots actually create some opportunities for us. I've got a good friend who's got a, a uh, bed and breakfast in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and there uh, he's got an old hacienda there, an old Spanish adobe uh, hacienda, and there's a large courtyard, and over it is uh, a trellis, a huge trellis built that now is this vibrant wisteria that grows up. The trunk on this wisteria is huge. In, in Georgia, where I lived, these things were weeds. But out in Albuquerque, wisteria, I guess, is a good thing. If you can get anything to grow, it's a good thing, right? So uh, I asked my buddy, Lee, I said, what's with the wisteria? He says, well, when we bought this place 20 years ago, the thing was sickly and about to die. And he said, I went to the uh, to Master Gardener and I said, what should I do about this wisteria? I'm, I'm going to have to cut it down. It's about to die. And he says, don't, don't cut it down. He said, just take an axe and take that axe and just whack on the root and the lower trunk of that thing a little bit and stress it a little. He said, really? He said, really. It needs some stress. Trust me. And uh, Lee said, okay. And he did. And the next thing you know, that wisteria began to wake up and began to grow again. 
become a flourishing plant. There's something sometimes about a little discomfort that causes us to pay attention again to what God is up to rather than relying on our own possibilities. And it is that, church, that we need to engage in, that possibility. And not only that, but to recognize that even in our brokenness, God can be at work in our lives. That God uses our brokenness in particular ways to do his good work because the transcendent power belongs not to us but to God. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, many, many, many years ago, there was a servant working in a master's house whose job it was to walk from the mansion above the river all the way down to the river and with two pots on a pole that he carried down, he would fill the water pots and walk back up the hill. And day after day he did this. One of the pots was full and whole and complete. The other pot was broken and cracked. And by the time the top, he got to the top of the hill, only half of a pot of water remained. And for a year and a half, this servant walked down the hill and up the hill carrying water only ending up with a pot and a half worth of water at the top of the hill. One day at the river, as the servant was filling up the pots with water, the cracked pot cried out and said, I am so sorry. And the servant said, why are you so sorry? He says, you work day after day carrying water up to the top of the hill for the master. And by the time we get to the top of the hill, I'm only able to deliver you a half pot of water. And the servant said to the pot, pot, you're a silly pot. You look as we walk up the path to the house. And as they walked, the young, the little pot began to observe that there were flowers all along the way. And as they got to the top of the, of the hill, the servant said to the pot, pot, did you see the wildflowers growing there? Yes, I did. He says, I planted those many years ago, knowing that you were cracked and broken. I always carry you on that side. You have faithfully watered the, pl- the flowers that grace the master's table every night at dinner for a year and a half. God is able to use the cracked places in our lives to do some of the most remarkable work if we will just open up our eyes and pay attention to the possibilities of God rather than our own stuff. And then... I have to say, finally, this morning, that perhaps if we would pay great attention to the transcendent power that belongs to God and not to us, we might be in for a real show in what God can do in our lives. Because he is, after all, the master of all things. Does anybody know the jazz trumpeter by the name of Winston Marsalis? Anybody heard Winston Marsalis? Great trumpeter. I see a few in there. This guy is incredible. Back about 10 years ago, he was doing a concert in a little New York City club, and there was a journalist by the name of David Hodge who was there to review the concert, writing for the, the journal called the Atlantic Monthly. Hodge goes to hear this concert, small, tight little uh, club, just a couple, three hundred people gathered in close, and uh, Marsalis was putting on a wonderful show. It was a wonderful evening, and then there came a moment where he dismissed the other three or four members of the band, and solo, by himself, he began to play an old 1930s ballad, which I doubt if anybody, well, somebody might know it. It's called, 
I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. Bing Crosby sang it in 1933. If you know this song, you're getting old, folks. <laughs> I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. And, uh, and it was wonderful, this solo trumpeter playing this old ballad. In fact, Hodge had written across his little journal notebook, Magic. And just as he was finishing this ballad, I don't stand a ghost of a chance, and before he could play the last two notes with you, somebody's cell phone went off. You've been there, right? And all of a sudden you hear this, and of course it was one of those moments, this has never happened to you, right, where the guy could not turn it off. He couldn't find it. And so you hear this go off, and the audience is, oh, it's a mess. And Hodge writes on his, his uh, pad, magic, right? Ruined, out in pencil and underlined. And it took this guy forever to get out. And the audience is just going crazy. But Marsalis stands on the stage completely still, doesn't move a muscle. Finally, the dude with the phone is out of the room. The audience begins to finally settle down. Marsalis stands there until everyone gets quiet, and then, note for note, straight on pitch, he plays. (laughs) And everybody laughs, and they settle in a little more. And then he plays it again. And then he begins to play little crescendos and arpeggios, arpeggios off of that. And he just begins to play little side tunes off of that, coming back to the funny little cell phone tune. And then he transitions into another key, and then into another key. And then suddenly he's back in the same key as I don't stand a ghost of a chance, and he lands those last two notes with you. And the whole audience realizes that in that moment they have witnessed something quite masterful, and they rise up and applause. It was a fantastic, wonderful moment where someone who is truly a master of music was able to take something broken and busted and do something beyond belief with it. And church, we serve a God who, by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, continues to take broken people in broken situations and perform the same kind of marvelous, outstanding, miraculous, and beyond our comprehension kinds of work today. And so whether we're talking about your life this morning or the life of a congregation, it matters not to the one that Paul speaks about when he says that we are just a bunch of broken, cracked kitchen pots to remind us that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. Will you bow? Gracious God, today, in all of our busyness, expose to us in these moments, by virtue of our time together in assembly here this morning, as we've taken bread and we've taken grape juice, we've heard your scripture read, We've sung songs of praise to you. We've heard now from this word from Paul that you would expose to us those broken places in our life and that you would 
by your grace and power, be at work in those, reminding us that it does not rely upon us, but upon you. And may we come to embrace your transforming work in our lives and in the life of this church in new ways today. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. If we can help you, there are elders here to receive you this morning.